Hi, and welcome back to Season 3 of The Second Chapter. I'm your host, Kristen Duffy. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend. Word of mouth is one of my favorite ways to find a podcast, and I'm sure I'm not the only one. Today, I'm speaking with Lindsay Bleakley. Lindsay was a health visitor with the NHS for 18 years until, for lots of reasons, it wasn't good for her anymore. She now is the baking and business genius behind Bumbling Goose Bespoke Bakehouse in Northern Ireland. I want to offer a content warning today during this episode of the second chapter. We do discuss pregnancy loss. At that stage, I didn't have any confidence. I didn't have any self-esteem. I didn't feel capable of making any decisions, a decision about what to have for my lunch, never mind what to do for the rest of my life. Your career, what you do, takes up such a huge portion of your life and it shouldn't be something that, that hurts you. Hi, Lindsay. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? Very good. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Yes, this is really exciting because I feel like your current career slash business is like the dream business. I wanted to say for everyone, but I don't want to speak for everyone because I've had lots of people on the show that have what maybe is their now dream career. But I have to tell you, it ranks really highly as one of mine. (laughs) It is pretty good. I have to say I am very lucky. Yes, and I do. I count my blessings often. I definitely do. So you Um, started a bakery, your own bakery, how long ago? So I didn't intend it to be a business. It just evolved that way. I worked for the NHS for nearly 18 years. I was a nurse and then I was a health visitor. And for lots of reasons, um, it just wasn't, it wasn't good for me anymore. So I left in that impulsive way that you do (laughs) with nothing to go to, nowhere to go. And and I started to really concentrate on looking after myself. And part of that, I was having um, CBT. And my wonderful therapist, Alistair, had said to me, you're going to have to find something to do. You can't sit and watch daytime TV all day. Um, you need to find something to occupy your anxious mind. He said, an idle mind is an anxious mind. I always enjoyed baking. I would have baked when I was little with my mom and loved it. She's an amazing baker. My nanny was a, a fantastic baker. So it's kind of just something that's been in our family. So I started to bake uh, a bit more frequently and more and more frequently. And <laughs> then I was baking and I was giving parcels to my parents, to my husband's parents, to my friends, my neighbors, and, um, and a lot of baking because it was, baking is very simple and it's very straightforward, but you have to concentrate. So mm. I found that concentrating on that meant that I wasn't concentrating on the things that I didn't want to concentrate on. So I found the days that I baked, I felt much better in myself. And um, so then James, my husband, said to me, Lindsay, um, do you think you might start to sell some of the things that you're making? So we stopped eating them all. <laughs> we'd, yeah, yeah, we'd gone down to having one income and I was baking it all away. So we kind of thought, gosh, could we do this as a, was it maybe like a hobby business? I wasn't thinking kind of long term. I was just thinking here and now. I thought, well, I could make a few cakes for children's parties. I could make a few buns. And that was the kind of the, the early plan and uh, nothing more serious than that. And then, so we, we only really got off the ground uh, as a business when um, then we, the pandemic started to kick off. And yes. with that, we were just, goodness me, catapulted. Quite, gosh, it was quite, it was quite scary at times because we just became so, so, so busy so quickly. My husband built the website. So because people weren't able to have parties and they weren't able to have events and things, people switched to, to online gifting. So my husband rustles up a website. He never built a website in his life, but he built a website. And we started to think about what we could sell online. 
Hence, we're now posting brownies <laughs> all around the country and biscuits, that kind of thing. And actually, yes, it's been such a steep learning curve because I went from being health visitor to running a business, which was just, goodness me, I, I never expected it. And I really had to learn quickly and learn on my feet. So yeah. I want to go back to that health visitor and what you're doing before. There, I have a million questions about the bakery as well. And mm-hmm. I have to tell the listeners about my brownie experience, but I won't go there yet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but yes, I would love to know a little bit more about where you originally started, how you went into the NHS and how that all happened. Do you know, I, when I think back where my career has gone everything has always evolved naturally and I think that the things were meant to happen when they did when I, I left school and I didn't go to university because it was a bit silly and um, so I worked in a bank for a while and then I had my daughter she is 20 now and when she was born my health visitor came to see me and I just thought what a wonderful job that's just the most amazing job visiting mummies and babies how, how fabulous and I can remember looking Googling in those days, gosh, it was a long time ago. What do you have to do upstairs to the desktop dial up? <laughs> what do you have to do to be a health visitor? And we had to be a nurse. And I thought, oh gosh, you know, that's a big, you know, move to, to leave the bank to go and, and do a nursing degree. But I really didn't enjoy the bank at all. It just wasn't me. It was just something that I found myself in. Then I left the bank. I do have a track record of leaving things before I have something else suitable. I'll interject and say that. The, the way we even came together was because you answered someone on Twitter saying that you left jobs without having something else to do. <laughs> I know. And it's so, I wouldn't advise anybody to do it. It's so reckless, but, but it, I've been really fortunate that it, it's worked for me so far. So yes, I left the bank and I got, at that stage, Yasmin was tiny and I, I didn't really want to leave her, but she was about a year old and I found a job doing admin work in our local hospital. And I really enjoyed it. But I found that I wanted to be on the other side of the desk. I wanted to be working with the patients. So she was two and I applied to university and did my nursing degree. And I absolutely loved it. I really loved it. And I think, no, how did I do that with a two-year-old? And I was a single parent. So it was, yeah, quite a challenge, but I loved it. Then in the A&E department for a while. And then the opportunity came up to work in the health visiting team as a nurse. And so I went there it kind of was again it just evolved it, it, it just it happened so I was working um, as a nurse in their team and the opportunity came up to do the course so to become a health visitor you have to do a, a further year at university as a postgrad mm. um, so I went and did I went and did my postgrad training and I was attached to a teacher practitioner health visitor and she was the girl that was my health visitor whose job I had thought I would absolutely love to have so it all just felt like it was written in the stars. And I had no one 12... can see my face, but it is just, it's just like karma or no, not even karma. It really was. It was just, and I have to say, I really did love my job. I felt really passionate about what I did. And I was able to support women at such a special and such a, sometimes such a difficult time in their life when they've got a new baby. And I really did. I, I thrived off it. I really, really enjoyed it. And I got a lot out of it. Yeah, I did. I felt like it was meant to be. But then life took a very different turn. And I met my husband, James, and we went to have lots of children. And that didn't happen. Unfortunately, we had lots of difficulties in getting pregnant. And then we had four miscarriages. So whilst I loved my job, it became the source of so much pain. Visiting women with babies when I, I we couldn't have our own and, and having lost four 
was just terrible. It was just, oh, even when I think about it now, it still makes me really emotional. How long um, was the how long was the course of time when all this was going on that you were trying to have a baby? And so we tried for two years unsuccessfully, and then I got pregnant, um, and it was such a shock. But I, I lost that baby, and then I had some pretty significant complications, and I ended up in hospital for six weeks after. And then I had another miscarriage, kind of a number of months after that, and then the following year I had another two. So in the space of two years, I lost four babies and I had that sex pain in hospital and it took me a long time to recover from that physically and emotionally. By the time we had the, the, the fourth one and then I had more complications, physical complications after that. And I was just completely and utterly done. I was broken emotionally, physically. I was so, so anxious um, every single day. Every minute of every day, I just felt this overwhelming, suffocating anxiety. And going to work was, it was just complete torture. Going into people's houses and listening to them talking about their babies and knowing that would never be James and I. I I can remember sitting in the car park and working in the mornings and crying and not wanting to go into my office. But I felt there's something about nursing where there like it's it defines who you are I was Lindsay the health visitor I wasn't just Lindsay I was Lindsay the health visitor and that's how people know you You know people stop you in the street they stop you in the shop and oh do you remember so and so my baby and oh he's at school now it's part of who you are and it didn't enter my head at that point that I would ever not be a health visitor but then people started saying to me why are you doing that job why are you doing it when it's clearly hurting you so much and it took me a long time to accept that I wasn't just going to wish that away. And then my mum had a really kind of stern word with me and she said, look, enough is enough. You can't keep doing this. You're really hurting yourself. And so, yes, I went in to my manager and I said, I can't do this anymore. And yeah. And I remember her referring me to occupational health and the occupational health nurse said to me, you can't give up your nursing career. So was it better for me to stay to do something for another 30 years that was actually slowly destroying me or to make a sensible decision for the sake of myself, my sanity, my husband, my my daughter and, and leave? So I have to say, yes, too, you're not the first person that I've spoken to that has been a nurse and just whether it was because something else called to them or whether it was because like you obviously like you said, why would you stay when it was mentally killing you? Mm-hmm. But it, it it is definitely something that defines people, I think, when they're doing it. So I can imagine that it would have been very difficult. I did. I found it very strange. That period of time after I'd left, when I didn't know what I was going to do, who was I? I wasn't Lindsay the health visitor anymore. I, I didn't have anything. And I, I did feel very lost. I felt like it was who I was. So that was definitely a big adjustment. But I think then when Bumble and Goose started to evolve, I stopped thinking about all that and it didn't, it wasn't relevant anymore. And I suppose it probably took me a while to think of myself as a business owner rather than a baker, but I'm obviously both. But I do, I think very much, certainly from my personal experience, where I have gone in my life with my career has evolved naturally without me pushing it in a certain direction. And I definitely feel like now what I'm doing is where I'm meant to be. And I remember Alistair again, my CBT therapist, saying to me, 
be very careful when you go from a career like nursing and health visiting, you get so much feedback, you know, you get to see that what you do, if you're supporting a mum with postnatal depression and you see her, you know, through that journey, you get so much from that. You get so much, you don't do it for, you don't do it for the feedback, but you get a sense of, of satisfaction and that you're able to support somebody at a, a really difficult time. And Alistair said, you need to be careful because you will be used to that. You've had that level of kind of feedback from your career for a long time. But in a different kind of way, what I'm doing now gives me such an enormous sense of joy because people get so much joy from the things that I make for them. So, yes, I'm not nursing them when they're really ill or I'm not, you know, but it's different. And especially through the pandemic, we've been sending gifts all over the country for people who can't see their loved ones or their friends. Or And yes. so I feel like I'm kind of a facilitator of that, the sentiment behind it. Every day I sit and it takes me about an hour to write all the little notes that go in with all of the the gifts. And it's lovely. I miss you. You're fab. Sending you a hug until I can give you a hug in person. We made housewarming biscuits for a 102-year-old lady at the oh. beginning of the pandemic. I know. <laughs> Her granddaughter contacted me and asked me because she was living in a residential home and they wanted to keep her safe from the risk of of contracting COVID. So they moved her and two other residents into little kind of apartments, little sheltered apartments. So they had interlocking doors. And so we sent her these housewarming biscuits and she phoned up her granddaughter and she said, oh, thank you so much. They're lovely. I'm sitting here with her two friends and we're all having a cup of tea and a biscuit. And she said, but I can tell you this is the last time I'm moving house. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> 102 but it's just it's a different way of being able to support people and obviously I'm involved at a time generally that's happier occasions to celebrate birthdays um Mother's Day Father's Day that kind of thing but it's so it is it's so lovely so it's just a different kind of way to to help people this is a good moment for me to say I was lucky enough to get a package in the mail this morning. <laughs> oh, were you? <laughs> yes, I videoed an unboxing so everyone can also see the joy and you can get the feedback from my eyes. <laughs> but I have to say, so Lindsay sent me a box of brownies and I, I, was, I wanted to give you the feedback that maybe you were craving after not being a nurse for a while. <laughs> I, I just don't even have words because I was dying they are so good (laughs) well I say they I was really good I only ate one and I have to tell you this uh, those of you who are listening they are just these gorgeous big fudgy oh my god yes so (laughs) I did restrict myself to one so far today but that's very good wow (laughs) (laughs) that's good that's good they'll stay fresh for two weeks so don't worry you have lots of time to eat them and you mentioned before we started recording about storing them. So that's a great tip if you'd like to share with the listeners. Because Absolutely. Brownies should be kept, I think, in the fridge. They are so much nicer when they're cold. It's a bit because there's so much chocolate in them, the really high chocolate content. So in fact, chocolate tastes better when it's cold, just like brownies. So you don't need to heat them. You don't need ice cream on them. Just pure chilled brownie right out of the fridge. Just perfect. And even room temperature, absolute joy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. 
there's the feedback you're smiling yes. I'm smiling it's okay. <laughs> it is like just pure happiness I've just yes I will shut up about that because I want to talk about you more instead of just me like lost for words <laughs> um how, how long was there the daytime tv and was therapy something that was instant because obviously having worked in healthcare you knew about mental health presumably Oh, yeah, absolutely. Very much so. I had support, gosh, over the years, supported countless women through difficulties with their, their mental health. So I had been having CBT for probably about two years, kind of from early on. After my first miscarriage, I started having CBT and that went on for quite a long time. And um, But at that stage, I thought that I would, I didn't enter my head that I wouldn't go back to my, my health visiting job. The benefits of it, I completely blows my mind. The benefit of it, it just enables you to think about your anxiety in a different way and to label it, which is something I think for a long time I ran from it. It frightened me. Mm. Um, but what the C- CBT helped me do was accept it. I feel really anxious today. I don't like it, but it won't last forever. And then you make it less of a big, scary monster looming over you. But yeah, so I went weekly for a very long time and then fortnightly and, and monthly and now I still would, would check in with Alistair if I feel overwhelmed I happily pick up um, an appointment with him because I never want to get to that place again where I felt so so anxious every single minute of every single day I used to wake up in the middle of the night shaking so I, there was never any peace or rest from it and I don't ever want to, to go to that place again so I'm very conscious of of looking after myself emotionally. I meditate every day, um, I go for walks every day, and I, yeah, I'm very mindful of, of looking after myself emotionally. I'm glad that, you, that you've done that, because I think especially having someone say to you, how can you leave nursing, and someone question that decision. That was very difficult because it, it was a really difficult decision to make, um, and then to have someone question it. I did find that very difficult because you, you, at that stage, I didn't have any confidence. I didn't have any self-esteem. I didn't feel capable of making any decisions, a decision about what to have for my lunch, never mind what to do for the rest of my life. I did feel very undermined by what she said. But your career, what you do, takes up such a huge portion of your life. And it shouldn't be something that, that hurts you. It really shouldn't. I mean, I worked for the NHS for nearly 18 years. That's a long time. And I think if somebody said to me in the street, I worked for the NHS for 18 years, I would say, gosh, that's great. Well done. Um, (laughs) I wouldn't try to take away. They said, don't leave. You can't leave. You know, yeah. But she was a much older lady than me. And I think it probably is that whole perception that you have a career, you have it for life. Why? Who said? We, We all change. Changes in so many ways. Our friendships change. Relationships change and evolve. And our careers can too. So there's no rule book that says the job that you have when you are young is the job that you have to retire with. Yeah. I mean, that's the mission of this podcast is really, I mean, it's not just career changes, it's life changes. So much of life change brings about career change because if you're not happy in your life, you want to change your career, you need to change your life. And Mm -hmm. I think it is such an old school mentality to say, you start this career, you work your Mm -hmm. way up, you retire and most people don't have a normal retirement anymore either so it's just something that you have to keep changing just to have a happy life really Mm -hmm. yeah and I think that so many people I I bumped into a girl that I worked with briefly a couple of days ago so that's the second time I've seen her in the last few months and has a very similar career to the one that I left and she said she hates it I said why are you still there and she looked at me like I was saying something really ridiculous, but it is so hard to understand how a young woman of 30 could contemplate 
30-something years of something that makes her really unhappy. Careers, relationships, anything like that, if it's making you unhappy, you have to reevaluate it and, and, and think beyond the, the difficulty because nobody's saying leaving a career is easy. But sometimes you have to step out of your comfort zone for the, the bigger picture. So as far as changing careers, you mentioned that it was your husband that said, should we start selling these? <laughs> should you start? <laughs> should you stop spending all the money on baked goods and start making some from it? Well, what kind of yeah. the challenges as you started building this business? When I think about them now, it's funny how you think that they're a big thing at the time and then you move past them and then there's another bigger one. And um, it took me a long time because I was feeling so not good about myself. It took me a while to accept that what I bake actually tastes really good and people want it and they love it. And the feedback that we've had has been amazing. So that has been lovely. And then even the kind of the the discipline of of being self-employed. And it took me a long time to stop working every single minute of every single day. I hear you. I hear you. Um, That was really tough. And especially because we became suddenly so busy at the the start of the the pandemic. Um, And I was literally working 12, 14 hours a day, seven days a week. And then when I wasn't actually physically working, I was answering emails. I was answering inquiries, messages. And that was really difficult. And it got to the stage where I thought, I actually can't do this Mm -hmm. all day, every day. I need to have some kind of life. We can only accept a certain number of cake orders, for example, because... You know, you can only make so much in one day. And I know I don't work Saturdays and Sundays, which is absolutely wonderful. Maybe that's unusual when you, when you work in the, the business that I do, but the post is Monday to Friday. So most of our stuff is, is for postal gifts. That's great. We send those out Monday to Friday. Yeah. So it means then that I, I just, I feel like there's kind of been a bit of a, a definition in my career, my private life, and especially because my bake house is at the back of my own house. I needed to be clear that that's work and this is home and this is my home time and this is my work time. And so, yes, that has been a bit of a, a life lesson, but we've definitely struck a better balance now, which is good. I think you mentioned to me too that, was it that your husband built the bakehouse? My husband and my dad built the bakehouse, yes. It's pretty wonderful, I have to say. Um, <laughs> yes, so my dad has an engineering background and so does my husband. So they built my bakehouse. It's absolutely wonderful. It's I can, I can see it out my window. It's, it's just like a little miniature kitchen. I didn't want it to look commercial or industrial at all. So it's got lovely peel pig walls and sage green cupboards. Yeah, it's really lovely. And the shelves are stacked with piles and piles of chocolate. And yes, my neighbours are always saying about the smell of chocolate wafting through the air when they come out of their house. So yes, they they did. And my husband built the website as well. He, yeah, there's no IT background, but he's a very determined and very clever man. It's interesting as well, because you said that outside is the bakery and inside is the house and you've learned to separate it. But I don't know if people have heard there's a little, every once in a while you hear a little sound and I've seen someone coming back and forth and there's cakes in there. (laughs) So I just love it. I just like, I feel like I'm getting a little insight into your life here. Oh, gosh, if I took you out to the, the bakery, never mind audio and visual, you need a, a, to be able to smell yes. chocolate. And the smell is wafting into my kitchen. That's a smell that I never get tired of. I also think you said something, the way you described your baked goods, you were like, oh, you know, I like to make a brownie and a biscuit and whatever. But your cakes, speaking mm-hmm. of your website, which I've been on, the cakes are, this is not like you're like a crafty home baker. This is like you have real artisan cake skills. How did that kind of come about? How did these crazy cakes come about? 
I um, I don't know. I've always loved cakes. I mean, what's not to love about a cake? Um, and I just, I completely taught myself. I think we've been quite, at the start, it was people were messaging me and can I have this cake? And then I thought I wanted the bumble goose cakes to be a particular type of cake. So I like them to be tall, elegant. And, and so people asking for odd random things as cakes. And I thought that's not really what I enjoy and I don't enjoy working with fondant and molding little characters and things and I don't think I'm particularly good at it whereas these ones I just I love them I think that they are simple and and they're more of a grown-up cake obviously but that's okay because grown-ups need cake too absolutely um, but yeah I, I I taught myself and I just practice and practice and practice and and, and you just kind of learn what works and, and what doesn't they're oh, really interesting you. I thank love you. them they're beautiful and I absolutely agree adults everyone needs cake uh, totally life without cake is just oh as awful as life without brownies yes exactly <laughs> <laughs> so I know you also mentioned to me that you were a, a one-woman band, but almost in the opposite of so many people's pandemic stories, your business has exploded so much and you've had to, you've really had to grow from an employee standpoint as well. So we now have a little team. We have someone that um, does the artwork on all of our biscuits. So he does that remotely from home. He, we email him the design kind of um, brief and then he comes back to us, emails them back, which is great. And then we have four part-time bakers as well so um so we're a team of six it's lovely because at the start to go from kind of you know a career where you're meeting people all the time and I was I was baking alone quite a lot of the time and, and sometimes I did think oh gosh I'd love some company but now it's so lovely and there's always music and there's always laughter and chatter and lots of giggles we all really enjoy what we do the girls that I work with they both had careers that they were really dissatisfied with kind of 20 year careers and they both say sorry we have two students and two fully fledged adults like me. Um, and they, <laughs> not going to comment on anybody's age, but they both had careers that they they didn't find fulfilling, and and they both said it's so lovely to go and do something that's really enjoyable, and you know we're quite relaxed. I like a nice relaxed vibe in work, and it's all very informal, and yeah, so it's great. And then my daughter, she works for me, and then another girl, so she's a year older, she's twenty one, and she works part time as well. So. Yeah, I don't feel like an employer as such. <laughs> I know I am and I, I should take ownership of it. But we're such a lovely team and I like that it feels not like employer-employee. I just feel like we're a team that work together and everybody pitches in and we get everything done. And kind of the last dash of the afternoon is get all the mail ready for the mailman coming to collect it. But yeah, there's a lovely sense of kind of camaraderie and yeah. I think you'll be really... Cheesy 80s pop. <laughs> <laughs> I've taught my daughter to love 80s pop. <laughs> I think that'll be really inspiring, though, because I feel like personally, I have my own thing that I tend to run myself. And I've really had a hard time figuring out what my team should exactly be. And I know that for the podcast, I spoke with the end of last season, Jane Porter, who is a second or third or fourth career gardener. And mm -hmm. she's had great success, but she's now struggling because she knows she needs to build a team. And I don't th always think yeah. it's that easy because it is hard when you start think of you thinking of yourself as an employer or it is mm -hmm. nice to hear you say that you just have fun in your team. I think that's, yeah. that's where I would want to be. And there's no kind of, I suppose, we all muck in together. We all get everything done. Some days it's absolutely frantic and we're, ah, and other days it's just nice and, and steady. And I just, it matters a lot that we all feel happy and important because I think having been in a career where I did find everything so difficult, I don't want anybody to feel like that on, on my watch, as it were. 
And I've been really lucky that everybody has just gelled so well. We all get on so well. And it is very relaxed. It doesn't feel like work that way. And I would hate them to think of me as the boss. It's uh, okay, Bumble and Goose is, is my baby, but we're a team and everybody has the same goal. We all want everybody to have delicious brownies and biscuits to eat and enjoy. And, and that's really it. Yeah. They're all terrified of de- decorating cakes, though. None of them want to learn to decorate <laughs> cakes because they don't want the pressure. <laughs> so the next addition to my team has to be somebody that's willing to, to decorate cakes. They're all too scared. No, we can't make them. We can't do it. Okay. I did say this would be like one of my dreams. So how can I come up, live close to the sea and learn how to decorate cakes? Because, oh my god, Brownies gosh. for coffee every day. <laughs> <laughs> do you have room for me just to like pitch a tent or something in your garden because yeah, I will do it no problem <laughs> seriously no problem. I would like I said one of the dreams so yes apprentice me or allow me to however you would say that I will be your apprentice <laughs> perfect perfect I'll send you my address <laughs> so as far as I mentioned that I always have somebody bring a quote and I know you brought one today so if you wouldn't mind sharing that yeah, I think this one, I remember the first time my husband said it to me and I remember thinking, huh? But it applies to so many things in life and it's not anything profound. It's not some you know, kind of um, literary genius. But he, I remember when things were really difficult and I was feeling really, really overwhelmed and I didn't know what to do and I didn't know how to feel any better and I didn't know where to go. And he said to me, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? And it's so true. And when you are feeling overwhelmed and when everything's closing in on you and you think, oh, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. It's just such sensible, logical advice. Not that I'm envisaging biting an elephant in the bum. <laughs> but <laughs> but and, and even when, you know, when, when Bumble's really busy and there's so many orders and there's so much to do and there's emails to answer. And it applies. It applies to so many areas of life. And you just have to literally do one thing at a time. Um, because when you try to do 20 it doesn't work and you just feel worse um yes um who ever thought that my husband was a wise man he builds big houses he builds websites and he's got the saying of the day <laughs> and you say it's not profound but it really is because it is the kind of thing it's just like you said it's something that you can apply to almost anything i'm sure when you were yeah. in the position that you were so filled with anxiety it wasn't enough to make you better but it was a great way to kind of think you know what I can only do so much. Strategy. Mm-hmm. I think because I think the world is a very overwhelming place for lots of us. And especially on the back of the pandemic, you know, I was reading statistics about the rise in um, mental health difficulties, particularly in younger women. And and it is easy to feel that you have to be perfect at everything all of the time. And there's so much pressure from so many angles to be the perfect everything. You know, the perfect wife, the perfect girlfriend, the perfect mother, the perfect friend, the perfect daughter. And none of us are perfect. Obviously, none of us. And and I don't know where this has come from. Because I don't think it was like that for our mothers. And I can see how on the back of the, this pandemic, you know, people have been struggling working from home. They've been struggling alone and people are in a difficult position and they might feel that they've got no way out. And I think sometimes just if you can take a step back and say, right, the only way that I can do this is one step at a time. It's the only option. It's so true. And it's advice that I think so many of us need to hear. I need to hear it. I certainly think I can say it to other people, but having somebody say it to me and hearing it, you know, really hearing it. Yeah, you don't have to be perfect because, I mean, when it comes to everything I do, I'm so demanding of myself. 
and you get to the point you have nothing left to give. And then what's the point? It's better to be able to keep giving. Well, that's, I'm going to go back to Alistair again, all these wise men, my CBT therapist. I can remember him saying to me, life is like a bucket of water. Everything that you do for other people is giving a glass of water out of your bucket. So you're being a parent, you're being a wife, you're being good at your career, you're being a good friend, you're supporting your neighbor, all of the things that you do, you're giving a glass of water out of your bucket. Mm -hmm. Well, what's going to happen to your bucket if you keep doing that? Yeah. And run empty. So you have to keep topping up your bucket. That was something that was a big, big, big life lesson for me. And and topping up your bucket doesn't have to be, you know, a weekend in the south of France. Sometimes Um, it's just a really good brownie. Sometimes it's a good brownie, yes. (laughs) Like a walk on the beach, you know, a chat on the phone with your friend, a nice hot bath, um, half an hour on your own, (laughs) just being quiet. All of those things all refill your bucket. And I think that in life we need to understand that there has to be that balance because you can't keep giving if you don't have anything else to give. You, You just don't. So I think hopefully off the back of this pandemic, we'll all learn to be a little bit kinder to ourselves and a little bit kinder to each other too. Yes. Um, because, you know, you don't know the walk that people are walking. And it's easy to think that people have a, a perfect life, but you don't know what struggles they've got going on underneath. Absolutely. Well, on that note, I feel, I just have to say, I feel so lucky that I've gotten to speak with you today because not only that, again, I'll say it one more time, I got brownies, but... <laughs> I just feel so lucky too, because your story is, I'm so happy that you found this joyful, joyful, I don't even want to call it a career because it's like a joyful life. It Mm -hmm. sounds like an amazing husband and a really good, is he back there? Hi. (laughs) (laughs) He's here. I said to him, don't leave in case I've got IT problems. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I should say you're so lucky that the talents are, you know, well balanced in your family. But yeah, I feel like it's always amazing with this podcast because I speak to people and sometimes it's just what I need to hear. And if it's not for me, then it's definitely going to be for somebody listening. So thank you so, so much. No, thank you very much for having me. I really enjoy talking to you. So thank you. Yes, same, same. And you'll be uh, hearing from me and my stomach again. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. That's good. But yes, enjoy those other five. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to subscribe and tell a friend about the second chapter. The second chapter is brought to you by Slackline Productions, a production company dedicated to redressing the balance of women's stories being told and who's telling them with a specific focus on women 35 plus. For more about Slackline, visit slacklineproductions.co.uk. Thanks again.